Overtraining is a thing. If it wasn't, people would just go at 100% intensity all the time, like every day, while continuing to just get better and better continuously. But reality sets in when we see the people that are hitting it at 100% every day, and they're getting worse, not better. So they get run down, they get drained, they have chronic fatigue and inflammation, they get sick way more often, their mood is depressed, they just go around and feeling foggy all the time, and their performance tanks. And for athletes who are pushing the envelope, especially if they're sustaining the high training volumes that are needed to actually be successful in sport fitness, it's actually way too often reality. So frankly, we just need better methods of renewal. And in this episode, I'm going to dive into a model for recovery sessions. Hey, it's Ben Wise, and this is The Fitness Movement. Fitness Movement is brought to you by Zor Fitness. Zor Fitness is my company and my platform to deliver incredible training-related content to people just like you. I don't just podcast. I write in-depth fitness articles. I break down common movements in the sport of fitness. I program workout plans, and I offer one-on-one coaching for competitive and recreational athletes. And the best part is most of what I have on ZorFitness.com is totally free. Check out these resources by going to ZorFitness.com. That's Z-O-A-R Fitness.com. Hope to see you there. And welcome back to my rant on recovery sessions. So as I sat down and thought about how I wanted to organize this and how I wanted to lay it out for people, I thought of three potential questions that people would have about recovery sessions in general. So that's how I'm going to outline today is I'm basically going to go through these three fundamental questions surrounding recovery sessions. So the first one is just why do recovery sessions like I think a lot of people think is is kind of a necessary evil and that's sort of how they view it rather than having it actually be a performance enhancing thing. So I want to view it through the lens of performance and how we can really boost performance with recovery sessions. Our second question then will be how often should you do them? So what frequency should we be hitting recovery sessions at? Or if you're a coach, how often should you be programming? Or if you're self-coach, um, if you're an athlete, like how often do you need to be doing some sort of a deload or a rebound or recovery session? So how often should you be doing that? And then thirdly, what should they consist of? So if I'm doing these recovery sessions, what should that look like in the sense of like what things am I actually going to be doing in that recovery session that's going to aid and speed my recovery? Because that's the whole point. What should I actually be doing in those sessions? So let's backtrack and go back to the why. Why recovery sessions? And again, I'm going to be hitting this from the performance aspect. So you already heard me go through some of the negative outcomes if a athlete or a coach is programming too much for that athlete where they're becoming overtrained. So those are really outcomes of overtraining. That's what we were looking at. And this could just be from not having enough recovery sessions. It could be from your recovery sessions just being too hard, like the intensity just isn't low enough in your recovery session. Or it could just be the fact that you're getting too much training stress in and not enough recovery just as a whole. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to do more recovery sessions specifically. But if you're training just way above your MRV, your max recoverable volume, then it doesn't really matter how much recovery you're trying to get in. You're just putting way too much stress on your system as a whole. So let's flip this from that intro where we're talking about performance enhancement. So let's think about this in terms of improving your performance. What potential benefits can a recovery session have provided that a coach programs it right and that the athlete executes on it correctly? 
So the first thing is accelerating recovery. And that's certainly a broad term, but I think that's what people relate to most when they're thinking about recovery sessions. But here's the thing. Most people don't actually do recovery sessions in a way that's actually improving and promoting recovery. Frankly, it's just an easier training session is what it is for most people where they're not going as hard as they normally would. Or on the opposite end of things, they take a complete rest day and just don't train at all or don't move at all. And that's obviously not accelerating recovery, which is the goal. So the goal is to accelerate our recovery through this movement, through this session. And so the rest of these points are going to be sub points within that, where if you are accelerating recovery, that means by default that X, Y, Z, all these different things are going to be happening. And the first thing is that it's going to be generating parasympathetic tone. So this is a nervous system state. So if you haven't heard episode eight of the fitness movement yet, I would go back and listen to that. I talk all about nervous system states, so I'm not going to get into the basics of it now, but really it's about priming your autonomic nervous system to be in the right state and to be able to express the right state at the right time. So one of the things that I think people get wrong a lot is that they think, oh, parasympathetic all the time is good. And that's not the case at all. If people are parasympathetically overtrained, where they're just doing like a ton of aerobic work and they can't recover from it all, they're going to be in that foggy state that I described in the intro, where they just can't get, let's just call it up for exercise, where they can't get stimulated and excited and turn into that sympathetic side where they need to, to be able to express higher levels of fitness in a shorter time domain with a higher intensity. So the goal for creating parasympathetic tone is the fact that we are balancing the two sides of the coin of our nervous system, where the majority of the time we're parasympathetic, we're in rest and digest, we're in recovery mode. But when we need to, we can turn up, we can rely on the sugars, we can rely on the hormones, the adrenaline, the cortisol to get us through difficult pieces. And that's an important thing. You need to have that in our sport. If you have these short, powerful bursts, you need to be executing them at full intensity you have to be able to express the sympathetic nervous system. So us generating parasympathetic tone not only accelerates recovery, but it also allows us to express the sympathetic side of our nervous system when we need to be able to express that sympathetic side. Next is that we'll be improving movement quality. So sort of by default, a recovery session means that you're slowing down. And by slowing down, hopefully that means that you're having higher intention rather than intensity, which means that maybe we're doing tempo movements or we're just slowing down as a general quality. And that allows us to not have any compensatory movement patterns. It allows us to move well. That's the bottom line. If we move well, we tend to have less joint pain. We tend to improve our movement quality. That's something I talked about in the last episode, episode 18 on mobility, is that if you're moving in a way that does not create joint strain, then your mobility typically will improve because your body is going to allow yourself to get in deeper positions because it's not threatening to your system. And kind of in the same vein, next is allowing for skill practice. So unfatigued skill practice is a great thing to do during recovery sessions because by nature it is low fatigue. So you're already doing a low fatigue session. You might as well get some low fatigue skill work in something where it already would have been a full recovery when you're doing it. So by nature, you're focusing on movement quality and by nature, learning is sort of a parasympathetic thing. So all those things are going to promote the fact that skill practice is a great thing to get in on recovery days. Next is reducing inflammation. So the fact that this is a lower intensity exercise, and I'll kind of go into this later, but also I want more lower eccentric modalities, means that there's going to be very little recovery demand. And I mean that in the most literal sense, whereas if you're doing something that's very stressful and very taxing and very damaging to your body, which most of our protocols are on training days, that's not the goal. Our goal is to clear inflammation, is to clear fatigue, is to clear waste products, 
And we're setting ourselves up for a way where we can do things to improve our recovery, things like reducing your inflammation. So what is inflammation? I think people have a pretty good hold on the symptoms of inflammation or the things that would cause inflammation, but I don't necessarily think people have a really good grasp on what inflammation actually is. So it's increased blood to a certain area. So AKA swelling. So it's increased lymph and lymphocytes. So roughly this could be chalked up to the lymphatic system or even like the quote immune system, plus other fluids and proteins are coming to the area. It's basically your body is flooding a particular area to try to get to heal. But the goal is to not have that pool there, rather to have it circulating throughout the body. So when we're talking about increased circulation, which is definitely one of the benefits of recovery sessions, that's going to be one of the things that impacts inflammation because we're pushing these fluids around the body. And that's what you want. You want things to return back to the heart and move throughout and flow. So when we talk about blood flow or lymph flow, that's actually really tied in with inflammation. So if we can get more steady blood flow, more steady lymph flow. And again, I talked about in the hold your breath episode, how that's tied into breathing, just getting yourself to breathe more and rhythmically in a recovery session is actually going to boost recovery, even if you weren't moving. So let's just say that you were just laying and doing static breath work. You're still getting some blood flow. You're still getting some lymph flow because your respiratory muscles are massaging blood through all your visceral organs. But we're also using the muscle pump where by contracting your muscles rhythmically, it actually helps with venous blood flow return and all these other aspects of recovery. And the other good news, if we circle back around to parasympathetic activation, that by definition means that we are going to be more anabolic. So think anabolic as in like muscle building. So there's going to be more protein synthesis. There's going to be more repair to our damaged tissues. This could potentially be growing muscle mass. And by switching into rest and digest, that's just kind of a simple way to describe it. By switching into that mode, that by definition means that we are more anabolic And by definition, that means that we're not catabolic where the structures of our body aren't breaking down. Another way to say that would just be, let's just call it repair mode. And as part of repair mode, um, we could say this is increasing your immune health. So I already talked about the lymph and the lymphocytes. So this is really tied into your immune function as a whole. And by increasing parasympathetic tone, the immune system gets upregulated. And if we take this as a big picture and we zoom out, so overall what's going on Overall, you're improving your longevity in the sport and frankly, your body as a whole. Like you only have one body. You have to live with it your whole life. So if you're constantly beating yourselves down, your joints hurt all the time, like even if you are still improving, that's just not ideal for what you want to be as a human over the course of your entire life. Like just because you're in your teens, 20s or 30s now does not mean that you're going to be there forever. At a certain point, you're probably going to pivot or move on. And when you do that, you want to have a body that's actually fully functioning and that can adjust and adapt to whatever you're exposing itself to at that time. If you can't go and do stuff that you want to do because you're beat up from doing functional fitness, then it's definitely not functional and you're just competing in a sport. And that's okay if you just want to compete in the sport, but do that in a way that's mindful and allows you to move on when you want to move on and have a body that's going to promote that process. So that's the why of recovery sessions. Now let's answer how often. So how often should you do recovery sessions? First of all, I want to say this depends on four different factors. Um, number one is your biological age and your training age. So how old you are and how long you've been training for. Athletes who have lower biological ages and higher training ages need less recovery sessions. An athlete who is in higher biological age and a lower training age is going to need a lot more recovery sessions because they recover a lot slower from the damage that they do. So if we have a teen athlete who's been working out their whole life, they probably don't need nearly as many recovery sessions 
relative to a master's who just started and really didn't do much prior to getting into the sport of fitness. Our next factor, number two, is going to be lifestyle factors. So let's just call this things like sleep, nutrition, um, hydration status, the level of stress that you have. And I've mentioned this before, but often people who are older having a higher biological age have more lifestyle stress and often get less sleep, which like I talked about in 009 on master's athletes, it's a big part of why they're not actually recovering the way that they should be. Number three is the type of training that that person is doing in their sessions, in their hard sessions, what are they doing? And what is the duration of these sessions? So if a person isn't doing a ton of sessions and they're not super long, they're not as stressful. First, if we have someone who's in there hitting it hard every day, doing very stressful training pieces and working out for a much longer period of time, there's going to have more fatigue that they're going to have to be recovering from. And the best way to do that is through recovery sessions. So if we have one athlete and they're just doing CrossFit classes and we have someone else who just their exercise is walking and we have another person who would just be doing something like functional bodybuilding, we have another person who's just solely doing weightlifting, all of those are going to have different SRA curves, stimulus recovery adaptation. So the way that your body adjusts to that training stressor changes based on what that stressor is. So I like to think about training like digging a hole. You are literally digging a hole in the ground. You're putting in the work, but until that actually gets filled back in and then you can actually pile more dirt on top of that that wasn't there before, that's recovery. So digging the hole is just the stimulus. It doesn't mean that you're getting any better. It's just when you fill all that back in that you actually get better. You actually get weaker during a session. That's why people don't keep lifting heavier and heavier weights as they get tired. They get weaker and weaker throughout their session. They're breaking down. And it's not until you actually recover and get stronger and adapt to that that you're getting better. And then number four is the person's goals and desired time to peak their fitness. So if we have a person who is identifying as a competitive athlete, that means by nature that they compete. And if they compete, that means they're competing on a particular day. So in other words, they need to peak their fitness on X date. And then they might have some time off, but then they have another time where they can, again, peak their fitness on a specific date. And they might want to do that over the course of several years, but that's still different from someone who's just trained to be generally fit because that person, they want to be fit for their entire life or that should be the goal for that person. So their desired time to peak, let's just call it their golden years. (laughs) So again, the time that that person wants to peak their fitness matters a lot for how many recovery sessions they might be getting as well as how many hard sessions they're getting. So to not be vague about this, I want to go through four different avatars, starting at a novice trainee and moving through to an elite athlete. And I outlined these four avatars because I think most people are going to be able to align themselves generally with one of the four and be able to get some takeaways from it. So let's think about our novice trainee. So for example, let's just say this is a personal training client, an in-person personal training client, where I see this person and train with them maybe two or three days a week. I'm certainly not going to take those days easy because I only get to see them two or three days. So they're going to get no in-gym recovery sessions. So what that means is they need to be working on increasing their lifestyle activity, and that's going to help promote recovery outside of the gym. So moving outside the gym, not in a workout. So playing with your kids, mowing the yard, going skiing, like doing anything that you want to do with your body that involves movement Um, and doing that in just a way that's lower intensity that you wouldn't necessarily call it a workout. So depending on your frequency, you might not build in any recovery days. And that's something that will be perfectly fine. As long as you're still moving with high intention when you're in the gym and doing things where you can learn fundamental movement patterns, doing things where you can refine your movement and having high intention in your workouts, then I don't see that being an issue at all. Let's move on to the next person. So the next person, let's just call them the fitness enthusiast. So this is a person who's probably going to be GPP. 
So let's just say that they're in the gym five to six days per week. So this is someone who most outsiders would look at this and see this person as a very dedicated and potentially an athlete, but they're not competing. So that's where I'm drawing the line here. So they do cross set classes or they follow some sort of blog style workout. So of those five to six sessions that they have, one or two of those should be recovery sessions. And then the other one should be spent moving outside of the gym. So just like the novice trainee, no different than that. And by the way, I would include that across the board. I want everybody out of the gym at least one day. So here this person's actually getting some focused recovery session work in the gym. Let's go up to the next level. Our next level is a high level hobbyist. So this is someone who is a competitor. So for this person, they're spending five or six days per week in the gym. And let's just call it maybe one or two of those days being double sessions where they do an AM and a PM. So somewhere in the neighborhood of seven to eight sessions per week. So again, I recommend at least one of those days being outside of the gym where you're doing a lot of lifestyle movement, just movement that's occurring organically in your life. But I would also make two sessions recovery sessions. So let's just say we do it on the double days. Each of those AM sessions are recovery sessions, and then you can hit one harder session throughout the week. And by the way, this is assuming that this is an athlete who competes in the sport of fitness. This is someone who's maybe running full time and that's their thing and that's what they're competing for. That's a different scenario because they have very singular training priorities. So like someone who's preparing for a 5K, you know exactly what you're doing and basically all your stressful training is going to be running. Whereas if we have someone who's competing in the sport of fitness, they have to get better at weightlifting. They have to get better at gymnastics. They have to get better at their cyclical work. They have to get better at metcons in the sport. So the number of training priorities that a person needs in a given week is just so much higher in the sport of fitness. Obviously, you still have to balance the volume as a whole, but just to think about it in terms of the broadness of the training priorities is a very helpful thing to do. And then lastly is the lead athlete. And let's just call this a perennial games athlete where you know the names of these athletes. They go back year after year after year. This is their full-time job. This is what they do. That's not to say that they don't know any other stressors or things going on like they still have to maintain relationships with sponsors and promote their content. Um, so doing things like social media or YouTube, they likely still have to do a lot for their own nutrition prep. They likely have to pay an individual design coach. So there's still a lot of moving parts and they still have a lot of lifestyle stress, but they are dedicating a lot of their time to training for the sport of fitness. So let's just say this is in season because it's much more intense and then much more reflects what we're going to see in order to run in towards the games versus out of season where they might have taken three or four weeks off before coming back into the gym at all. So they might be completely off. So I want a really good snapshot of their actual training and building up and starting to build volume, build intensity where you're going to compete. So for this athlete, it's going to be six days per week in the gym. And I think that's probably still pretty common for most games athletes, unless they feel an obligation to go in that seventh day where they're in every single day. Most of them are taking time off. And even if they are going in seven days per week, it's not an intense seven days per week every week. For this athlete, they're doing two or three sessions per day. So typically like a a.m., noon, p.m. sort of schedule. Um, and obviously that can vary the times and based on that, the athlete's preference and what their demands, their schedule are. But this is typically anywhere from like 12 to 18 sessions per week, especially as they're gearing up towards the sanctional or the games. So for that athlete, with you getting up to 12 to 18 sessions per week, I would say at least five of those sessions would probably be easy, relatively non-stressful work. So I'll go into what that's going to look like right here in a second. But thinking about out of those 12 to 18 sessions, probably at least five of them being recovery sessions where it's non-stressful work. So as a general rule of thumb, if we look at these four categories, you can see that Basically, I would recommend taking a recovery session or a lower stress session every one to two hard sessions that you put in. So if you go 
Monday, Tuesday, hard, take an easier day on Wednesday. If you go Thursday, Friday, hard, take an easier day on Saturday. So practically, this might look like two on one off where you're taking two hard sessions back to back and then a recovery session. The issue with that is that it's a six day cycle and it's not going to land on the same day of the week every time. So your recovery sessions won't be on the same days of the week just because it's a six day cycle in a week of seven days. So what a lot of people end up doing, spreading out that first two days to three days. So it's maybe a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are all harder sessions, maybe not killing it every single one of those, but more stressful sessions on those three. Take a recovery day on Thursday, Friday, Saturday are harder training days, and then Sunday is out of the gym completely, a rest or active recovery day. So that's a three on, one off, two on, one off. That's the cycle on a seven day cycle, so it's a very sustainable. And that usually works for most people's schedules because if people are religious or they're just family oriented, they often wanna take off on Sundays anyway, so that works out really well. And that's how I program for most of my athletes. If they're in that neighborhood of five to seven sessions per week, having a Thursday recovery day and a Sunday rest day works really well. And that's actually why I put our rest day reads newsletter on Thursday. So if you're subscribed to that newsletter, by the way, I'll put that in the show notes at sorefitness.com slash podcast slash zero 19. You can always subscribe to the newsletter there. That goes out on Thursdays. So it's the Rest Day Reads newsletter. So that's why it's called that. If you don't know why that's called that, because the people that are getting that newsletter that I program for are often taking a recovery day on Thursday. So the long and short of it is, I don't necessarily think there's a wrong way to do it as long as you're actually taking recovery sessions. That's the biggest thing. If you are actually taking recovery sessions, then you're okay as long as you're mindful about that process and actually making sure you take the recovery and the rest that you need. And then lastly, what? So what should we be doing on our recovery sessions? So what should the sessions consist of? So I'm going to go through five different elements that your recovery sessions could include. Skill practice, aerobic work, movement training, body maintenance, and mobility work. And in general, I'd recommend hitting some of the things that the sport of fitness doesn't hit consistently. So I actually wrote an article. It's called Neglected Areas in CrossFit Training, Movements, muscle groups, and energy systems. So I will link to that article in the show notes, sorefitness.com slash podcast slash 019. So I would definitely recommend that. That'd be a great place to start and get some info about what you can actually be putting into your recovery sessions. But I'm also going to go through each of these five points here and talk about each one for a little bit. So let's start on skill work. Uh, The biggest thing with skill work is that it needs to be unfatigued. It's going to be high intention. It's going to be low intensity. It's also going to have low mechanical and metabolic demands. So at no point are you loading the tissue really intensely or are you creating a ton of fatigue. Um, That's what I mean by mechanical and metabolic. So some things that might be good ideas to include here, stuff like handstand work, bar facing burpee footwork, where you're not doing reps quickly or under fatigue, but rather you're practicing on your positioning, your consistency, your footwork, your timing, your efficiency overall. Uh, We can focus on your rowing technique and sequencing. So thinking like legs, hips, arms, in the technique of how you're actually pulling on the rower and positional work. So maybe you're doing positional breathing on different positions in the rower, or maybe it's hanging from a barbell and doing positional breathing, whereas maybe it's weightlifting barbell technique where you're doing like snatch pulls or clean pulls and going through ranges of motion slowly and reinforcing the correct bar path. It could be things like triple pause, split jerks with just empty barbell. All those would be great ideas. Some things that might be bad ideas might be lots of double unders or rebounding box jumps where someone's knees or ankles or soft tissue um, just gets really beat up from that. That might not be a good idea. Same thing with like muscle up or chest bone practice. If someone doesn't have the strength, well, then it's strength work and that doesn't really belong in recovery day or they don't have the positions to do it. And then that's just going to place a lot of joint strain. 
or the person actually already has that and then they just need to accumulate volume and more density and then either of those aren't appropriate either. So again, we can think about this in a lot of different ways, but thinking about what would be good or bad for skill work to be placing into a session. Next is aerobic work. So the biggest thing here is that it's very easy. The biggest mistake I see is people prescribing aerobic work, which is great for recovery days, but just doing it in a way that the intensity is too high. So as a general rule of thumb, I would recommend going below 60% of your max heart rate. So for me, my max heart rate is 190. So that means that all my recovery days, I need to stay below 114 beats per minute for me, which is a very easy pace. It typically ends up being somewhere around 30 seconds slower than your 5K row pace per 500 meters. Um, so for me, I'm rowing at like a 215 pace. So it's really slow. It almost feels too slow, but that's the whole point is that it's oxygenating your tissues. So you're delivering oxygen at a rate much faster than you're using it. And that's the reason why we do it that way. So besides low intensity, I also want it to be low eccentric. So low eccentric modalities, things like holds, because they're isometric. And by nature, if something's isometric where it's not moving, there's no lowering phase. And that's what the eccentric is. And also things like carries. So like farmer's carries, front rack carries, overhead carries. And then the one that most people think of is ergs. So assault bike, rower, skier, all these different tools are really low eccentric. So it's a great way to get this easy aerobic work in. And recently, I created a video on aerobic accessory, which is one of the methods that I use in our recovery days. I'm not going to talk about it in this podcast because I've already done a detailed video on it, but I'll link to that in the show notes. So if you can't tell yet, I want you to go check out the show notes. Go to zorfitness.com slash podcast slash 019, and that's where I'll link to that video. Basically, within that, what I talk about is what aerobic accessory is. I'm going to go through an example workout. So it's low intensity and it's based on those low eccentric modalities. Um, it's typically based on something like a two to four hour time trial pace. And like I said, it's below 60% of your max heart rate. It helps promote blood flow. It's oxygenating, all these different things. So go check that out. Again, I'll put it in the show notes. Next would be movement training. So movement training is a super broad category. It's really hard to define to be completely honest, but let's just call it things that help promote longevity for joints, tissues, we're avoiding overuse injuries, and this could look a lot of different ways. So examples would all be like animal crawls, um, different types of locomotion work, yoga poses. It could be joint rotations, so things like cars, isometrics, where we're going to do end range and holding it. So something like tails and rails would fit into this. And if you don't know what I'm talking about with any of those acronyms, go look into functional range conditioning. If you look that up or also link to it in the show notes, you can check out some of their uh, methodologies. Things like squat therapy, if you've gone to the level one, like all that stuff would fall into movement training. Next is body maintenance, where this is traditionally thought of as like massage, where you're on the foam roller, you're floating, doing cupping, cryotherapy, acupuncture, all of those different things. But it also could be any sort of accessory work where you're promoting tissue recovery. So maybe you're doing rotator cuff strengthening or labral prehab or crossover symmetry work or core work like planks or like McGill's big three, stuff like side planks, bird dogs. We could do anti-rotational or rotational midline work, stuff like polyp press. All of that would fit into this. And lastly, mobility work. And I mean this in the way that is traditionally thought of, which is basically just stretching. Um, you can certainly involve that as well on your recovery days. Stuff like Ramwad is a great way to tone down the nervous system and put yourself in that parasympathetic mode that you want to be in. Okay. And the last thing that I want to do today is go through a sample session. So we'll walk through this sample session to end out today's episode. So let's just say this is for an athlete who's doing six to eight sessions per week and they're doing double days twice per week. And this is going to be one of their AM sessions. So the, one of the recovery sessions of the two that they'll get throughout the week besides their complete rest day. 
Not that that changes anything dramatically. All these recovery sessions are going to look very similar for my athletes. They're always individualized, but good programming is good programming. And there's going to be a lot of the same elements and just a few of the pieces are going to be swapped out based on individual athlete needs and where they're at as an athlete. So the first thing this particular athlete is going to do is jump on the air bike five minutes at a very easy pace. So this is zone zero heart rate. So less than 60% of their max. For a lot of people, it's going to put them somewhere in the neighborhood of 45 to 50 RPMs. So it's a very easy work. After that, they'll hop off and they're going to do movement training and accessory work items A through F. So all these different exercises, and we're not doing a lot of reps or sets. We're not taking a lot of rest time because they won't need it. The idea is that they can just go through each one of these, check it off, and then move on. So this will be things like uh, hip cars, uh, spinal waves, tabletop glute bridges, bird dogs, uh, rotator cuff shoulder routines, all that sort of stuff. After that, they'll go into empty barbell snatch technique work. So a five-minute EMOM, in this case, four slow-motion snatch pulls. They're reinforcing that position. They're refining their bar path. They're making sure they have that vertical shin in the pool, that the bar's coming back into them, that they have that double knee bend, that they hit the power position with an upright torso and bent knees, all the good principles, and making sure that they have high intention and low intensity as they're going through that snatch technique work. After that, we'll go into some basic aerobic function work. So this is going to be one minute, one minute, one minute of three different exercises, and they're going to repeat this three times. So this is nine total minutes, so not a lot of work here. A one-minute walk on the air runner, a one-minute skier at their 10K time trial pace, and a one-minute air bike at 50% of their 10-minute test average wattage. After the basic aerobic function work, they're going to hit some mobility to finish out the session, a three-minute frog stretch, so hitting the adductors and groin, and then ending out with a two-minute couch stretch per side, mainly targeting the quads and hip flexors there. So that would be their session. The whole thing will probably take them in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 minutes, depending on who this athlete was, and then they're out of the gym. So the goal for these recovery sessions is to get in, get the work done, and to get back out again, and having the athlete feel better when they leave than when they came into the gym. And that's really the biggest goal for these recovery sessions. And I hope today provided you with a model for recovery sessions. Hey, it's Ben again. And I wanted to take a minute to talk about our online training program, The Protocol. The Protocol is for athletes who want to train for the sport of fitness. It's programmed by me and it's my best attempt at preparing athletes with varying strengths and weaknesses for the demands of the sport. And I do this for the use of silos, which basically means I segment parts of the program based upon athletes' ability in a particular area. So for example, an element of the program this fall on Tuesdays and Thursdays was gymnastics-focused training. And there are four different silos, so athletes could choose to work on chest bars or muscle-ups or handstand push-ups or handstand walks. In other words, we are all doing the same core program, but there are ways to individualize it on a weekly basis. And as part of the program, I also include coaches' notes, technique videos, and educational resources almost daily. My goal is to not just have this feel like you're doing a workout plan, but to feel like I'm actually coaching you through the process of becoming the best athlete you can be. And having access to the protocol is just part of the benefit of being a pro member. You also get instant access to the vault which is exactly like it sounds. It means that you unlock the ability to be able to download all the programs that I've ever written. So this includes things like Bulletproof Body, which is the accessory work for functional fitness, gymnastics density for the big five, functional thickness, your first muscle up, cyclical supremacy, overhead squat mobility, breath work for the support of fitness, and it could go on and on. 
And lastly, you get instant access to pro articles, which are on topics that I really want to safeguard from the public and keep for my athletes. Stuff like cycle speeds for CrossFit open movements, strength ratio data analysis, so basically determining your relative weaknesses on strength work, breaking down sanctionals programming or games programming, energy systems testing and analysis, and a whole lot more. And if this sounds like stuff that you're into, you can get a seven-day free trial of Pro. Simply head over to zorfitness.com slash pro. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay the course.